welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg. And on today's episode, Christina Hoff Summers joins us to bring a little reason and clarity to the, to the discussion of women's rights, which is at an all-time high right now, the discussion about that. So we'll get into some of the legislative talks around the country and on the Hill. Yes, the left has resurrected the Equal Rights Amendment, and they're also pushing for the Equality Act, which the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, introduced in March. So we're going to see where things are on those two fronts and even the realm of potential psychological dangers of teaching girls that they are victims. So what does victimhood do, especially to young women? And finally, there's much discussion right now about the Women's World Cup team, not only on how dominant they've been, but whether or not their pay is unfair. Should they be paid at least as much as the men's team? So many questions, but we have the perfect person to set the record straight. Christina Hoff Summers joins us. She is an American author and philosopher. She specializes in ethics and is currently a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. She's also known for her critique of contemporary feminism, which is why she's perfect for today's podcast. Her work includes the books Who Stole Feminism and The War Against the The War Against Boys. She also hosts a video blog called The Factual Feminist and a podcast called The Fem Splainers. Christina, you have a busy schedule. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. And I personally want to thank you for your work over the years. I've followed you for so long. I've had the opportunity to listen to you speak, to interview you in the past. And you bring such reason to the women's equality debate, which I know gets very hostile. Um, so thank you for the work that you've done. And I, I want to talk first of, first of all about something that is happening legislatively. Start with the Equal Rights Amendment. As some states have resurrected this issue, Nevada became the first state since the 1970s to ratify the ERA. Illinois followed that in 2018. And for those listening to this, just as an FYI, um, Inez Stepman, one of the senior policy analysts at IWF, has a great piece on this. So go to the IWF website to check it out. But Christina, from your perspective, where are things on this whole battle on the Equal Rights Amendment? What's actually taking place with this? Well, you know, this this amendment was introduced back in the 20s, and it was passed by Congress and sent to the states for ratification. It almost made it. And, you know, if you read it, it just says, you know, e- equality under the law shall not be denied or abridged in the Sounds United great. States. I mean, Sounds what great. What fair or more reasonable? However... We have equal rights under the law. We got it in other ways. I mean, we first we had the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. That bans unreasonable discrimination. We've had federal statutes against private discrimination. There's just a robust body of law that's developed since the ERA failed to, to, to pass. And so my question is, what... What do they want it for? And my fear is they're going to, they're going to be activist groups that are going to use it for for unreasonable uh, efforts to stop you know any any manifestation of difference between men and women. They'll go after you know father daughter dances or use it to shut down single sex schools and and or worse they'll use it to enforce pay equity. Even if, you know, men and women are equal, working equal hours, they'll just say, well, it doesn't matter. The sexes have to earn the same. They'll, they'll, or they'll call it comparable worth. And, you, you know, it'll be used for a lot of mischief. 
Yeah, there seems to be almost this bait and switch in this progressive agenda around the ERA. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the important part in what you do is seek to emphasize the potential harms to women and girls if this does pass. What what are some of, the, some of those potential harms that you could see coming into play? Well, just to be clear, I do consider myself a feminist and I want, you know, equal rights and opportunities. I want my granddaughter to have that. I want every young woman to have it, but they do. And um, I'm completely open. If someone can come to me and show me clear evidence of, you know, systemic discrimination against women or even just some outrageous workplace, you know, where there's discrimination, I'm, I want it corrected. But you know what? That people can, first of all, if there are such places, they can go to court because it's against the law. What I find is you have a lot of, of activists, gender activists, demanding equity for, let's say, you know, in Silicon Valley, that they, they say it has to be discrimination because women are hired at the same rate of men. But women don't apply for jobs in tech at the same rate. They don't graduate from, uh, you know, college or graduate programs at the same rate. The, the number of female engineers has remained, you know, around 20 percent it's, it's, or 23% and it's less for computer science. Yes, we should do whatever we can to encourage girls, but to demand, you know, set these unreasonable standards of equity. And I think the ERA would be used as a cudgel to enforce an agenda that nobody really needs or wants. Now, you ask me, how does it harm girls? This constant complaining about injustice when we are living in a time where young women have never had more opportunities, more freedom, that this society is not rigged against them. It, it gives them the chance more than any society in the world, perhaps, to for self-realization. So it bothers me that we have uh, this activism around a victim feminism, treating women as if they're second-class citizens. It's no longer 1950, okay? But apparently I'm an outlier when it comes to feminists because most of them insist that we live in a patriarchy, and I find that unreasonable. <laughs> and it's one of the things I bring up just as a business owner, and I um, so far I've only employed women, not purposefully, but it's just happened that way. And I think about the opportunities that not only my employees, but I've been able to have in this country and how we are able to work and create something wonderful. And I've never seen so many of these things that um, so many on the progressive side, especially women, say say about me. And I, I wrote a, an article last week that was in the Examiner about victims and how so many um, progressive candidates these days are trying to appeal to women on this victimhood status. So that's how they're trying to say, vote for me because I'm going to help you with how you're being discriminate, discriminated against. And I've wondered, does this type of rhetoric, first of all, does it work? And second of all, what does this do to young women? When young women especially are told that there are victims, are there psychological dangers of teaching girls that? Well, first of all, it's just very discouraging. And to tell a group of young women that the world is, is just set against them, rigged against them, when it's not, is so outrageous. And I, I, I saw a study, for example, it was very good by uh, Jennifer Lawless. She used to run the 
Women's Political Center, Political Institute at, uh, I think it was Georgetown University. And she and her colleagues discovered that they, they want to see how much discrimination there is in politics. Are women political candidates targeted for more derision and just, just treated far worse than men? Jennifer Lawless did, and her colleagues did one of the most thoroughgoing studies. They released it last year, I guess in the form of a book, and they couldn't find it. What they found was there were some notorious cases that get in the news. Uh, so male candidates get their you know sexist remarks made, and so do female candidates. And overall, it was a wash. And But then what really struck me about this study is they said the big problem is getting women to run. If they run, their chances of being elected are no different from a man. The probabilities are the same. And most people just vote on party, not on uh, gender. And even women. I think there's this myth that women only vote for women, but that obviously isn't the case. We can see that in 2016. No, it's not the case. But then one of the things they discovered is that there's so much written falsely claiming that the political arena is just a nightmare for women. You're just entering into a world where you will be subject to just, just you know, you're going to be vilified and called names. No, that's just not true or no more true than it is for any, can, any for a male candidate. And yet they had evidence that women were avoiding entering politics because of this, this fear based on misinformation false information women are not helped by false information they are not helped by exaggerated claims about their vulnerability women will be helped by truth and solid research and unfortunately we don't have a lot of that and i know you've written a lot about what this means for boys or we could even say what this means for men when we put women as victims and therefore being oppressed by men and the patriarchy as it's often called what is the damage to men well think about it if if women are living in the handmaid's tale as you know if there's a war against us well who's waging it and who are the, who's the oppressor well it's the male and so this worldview seems to entail, um, well, so what are you going to do if you've got, you're living in this horrible patriarch and you want to overthrow it? Re-engineer, re-socialize boys. That's our only hope. And so there are all these programs to rescue boys and young men, to rescue them from their masculinity, from their boyishness. And uh, it's not, not going to work. I mean, of course, young boys need to be civilized. Everyone does. And their rambunctiousness and energy and high spiritedness needs to be targeted, you know, in, in, in good directions by their parents, their schools, their coaches, etc. But this idea that pathology is a disorder, that's at the heart of this victim, you know, feminist movement. So it's very hard for boys. And I worry about little boys. I mean, grown men can just turn the other way if they run into an angry, you know, <laughs> male averse feminist, but what do little boys do? What if it's your mother? What if it's your school teacher? And I'm afraid there are a lot of young men and boys that are just living in an environment of, you know, disapprovals just for, for who they are. 
Well, legislatively, I want to bring up another area that deals with this too, and that is the Equality Act that's been talked about quite a bit. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi introduced it in March. Um, This would add sexual orientation and gender identity to the categories protected by federal civil rights law. And you know, on the surface, it sounds great. Of course, we want equality for everyone. But this even impacts women's sports. And we're already seeing some law cases come out of this. Christina, what can you tell us about the Equality Act? Well, again, it sounds good until you uncover the agenda, which is to um, to sort of rush into law this idea that if a person says they are a man or says they are women, that's what they are, and you must treat them that way. Now, I want kindness and tolerance and understanding for trans people, of course. But I draw the line if someone just suddenly declares they're, it's a man, he declares he's a woman, and then can play on women's sports teams and win all the prizes. There's something destructive about that and and just just unreasonable. And so what has to happen is it's, it's just something that has to be worked out over time. And we're not there yet. We're just not there for on this trans issue. There are those who say that uh, if a child, you know, is showing an inclination that, that you know, being mis- misgendered, and they, they, you know, a little girl wants to be a boy, a boy wants to be a girl. There, there are organizations that urge parents, you know, to take them in and get, start medical treatments as early as possible. Well. We haven't had a, a full debate, a, a full, you know, we just don't know the long-term impact. And so a law like this could be used to uh, discredit people or even to take people to court who don't go along with whatever happens to be the trans agenda. Now, I say that so, as someone who is sympathetic to the movement. I think it's an authentic civil rights movement, but I think it's in early stages and there is a difference of opinion within that movement. The trans radicals, or as some of my friends in feminist philosophy call them, uh, the trans Taliban, are so aggressive and have such a, a, an exotic agenda. People aren't ready for it. But it would be, it would be sort of this law could be used to impose, you know, as I said, this kind of extreme agenda that very few people want, including many trans people. And I agree with you. I think all people should be treated with dignity and respect. We should figure out ways for all of us to be able to interact with each other in ways that are positive. Um, But when it comes to the Equality Act, what we're seeing is what is intended to, I would say... uh, help women as well. Uh, women are a big part of this Equality Act. We're already seeing that women are being negatively impacted. There's a recent lawsuit that's been taken up by the Alliance Defending Freedom for a woman named Selena Soul. Selena Soul. She is a student in Connecticut and didn't advance to the New England Girls Track Regionals because she needed to be in the top six runners to advance, but came eighth because two biological males were also competing as transgender girls. And it seems that this idea of biological men who identify as women competing with women has seemed to be the issue that a lot of women have rallied around saying that, look, we want dignity and respect for all. We want equality, but this is unfair. Do you find that this area when it comes to biological men competing in women's sports is the area where you are seeing women speak out and saying this just doesn't seem right? 
Yes, they're beginning to speak out. And I have to say, there's also a group of radical feminists, many of whom I've debated for years and disagree with them on many things. But here's one way in which I don't disagree with them. They have a right to a platform. They have a right to self, to free expression. But these radical feminists feel threatened by some of the trans activists. They're, part of it may come from just their, their uh, hostility to men. <laughs> so they don't accept that a, you know, a woman who, a man that declares himself a woman is a woman and they don't want him or her in their community or in their events or anyway, it, that that's their opinion. They have reasons for it. They, For example, they've argued that in women's shelters, which many of them are active in, in developing these women's shelters, they raise questions about having someone that just, you know, s- says, because if it's all you have to do is declare your gender, it's up to you. They fear that this can be used against women and they're fearful. Well, anyway, they have conferences, they give lectures, and the trans activists shut them down, threaten them, they call them TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists. And I don't use that term because it's so it, it just uncivil. And they're, they, they're called trans-critical feminists. That's the term I would use for these radical feminists. But the point I'm making, there is a, there's a lot that has not been resolved. It's being rushed, this agenda is being rushed, and it has gonna have unintended consequences, and we need time to discuss it. But yet, many people can't even discuss it because you're called transphobic if you don't you know, accept the, the radical agenda. Well, a lot of gay women don't accept it. A lot of, the majority of Americans would probably be shocked if they knew the full extent of it. So. I think we have to be very careful before passing this act and, you know, just, just read the small print and see what you're, Hmm. what it entails. Like you were saying, I think far reaching implications, often things that are done in good intentions, if it's not looked at very carefully could have negative repercussions. I think we're seeing some of that play out already. Um, But I want to turn our attention, our last topic of the day, I want to talk about the women's world cup team. Um, They've done fantastic. The U S team is the women's team has done fantastic so far, but it's led to this discussion about the pay that they receive. So the men's team, not so great. Um, Yet those players get paid more. So tell me what you think about the pay gap issue in this area. Well, here's the thing. It, it all, you can't just say, you know, oh, it's unfair that the women's team, you know, they won the World Cup and the, last, last time and the men, you know, are just not scoring well. Well, there are different, for the men's teams and the women's teams, there are different financial arrangements and pay schedules. And, for example, in the World Cup, the men's team did get more money, the American men's team, because they are part of the, you know, this the men's, you know, international federation that makes billions of dollars. So they get a small percentage of a much larger sum. And the women's soccer is, it's, you know, people like it around the World Cup uh, and watch it, but that's about it. And to the extent that people do watch soccer games, that may have changed. It used to be the men, even in the United States, their teams earned more. Now, that may have changed, so that it may be time for an adjustment. But overall, if you look at it 
worldwide, the women are way behind the, the, you know, the interest in the game. It's just there's no comparison to the interest that people have in men's soccer throughout most of the world than women's soccer. The United States, we're not even the exception because I think, it, you know, the last time that I looked, and these things do change, even the men's American men's soccer team, when it comes to just watching the games, they have more viewers. Well, one of the ways, the analogies I like to use, I'm a huge basketball fan. Um, I've never been to a WNBA game. I've only been to NBA games. There's a reason why NBA players get paid more. But I did find it interesting in reference to the Women's Cup. There was an article that came out by the Wall Street Journal that did talk about that the women's team does make as much as men. Was what they were talking about, I think in reference to what you're saying, that that was more around the World Cup and not throughout the entire season when World Cup isn't happening. Because I would agree with you. I think I think it should come down to whatever percentage is brought in by the business, that percentage should be the same for women athletes or male athletes. It's just, it sounds like what you're saying is as a whole, the male teams just um, as a business acquire a lot more money. Yeah, but even, even the, the, the idea that they should be paid the same, the women's teams negotiated a different... Uh, pay structure. They offered more protection to players who were injured or, you know, ill. And the men's team opted to do something else, which gave fewer players more money. <laughs> uh, but it was just distributed differently. So I'm just saying, before one rushes in and declares an injustice, you need to consider the details. Now, it may be that when we look at all the details, there is some sexism sexism there. I'm open to that. But every time in the past when I've gone to look at these cases, um, they're often just much more complicated than they appear to be initially. And then, then people will say to me, well, who cares? It shouldn't, you know, it, the reason that women's basketball doesn't get the same attention, I've heard this, it doesn't get the same attention because the media doesn't cover it with the same intensity. I'm shocked to hear that because there, there's never going to be a time where the interest in women's uh, basketball is going to equal that of men's. As you said, I mean, it's just you, you, <laughs> a very small audience and people will say, well, that's that's not fair. And, you know, well, look, it's it's men, especially men's in these team sports basketball and football, there's no amount of affirmative action can change the fact that men are on average stronger and faster and bigger than women. And most fans want to see the sport that they love to play at the highest level. And uh, men's professional teams are just a fascination to millions of fans across the world because of what they offer in this extreme competition performance heroics. So, Women's teams are very skilled and admirable, and the soccer team is, you know, they're stars. So they may have a good case, but as soon as it comes to the World Cup, it falls apart, I think. And, you know, because they're, even if they win and the men's team do nothing, again, the men are getting a, a you know, there's just a lot more money to be divided. And so the men, in, you know, the international federation the fifa is not going to 
start paying the men and women the same that in, in the wouldn't stand for it. So we, we have that to deal with as well. And that's why I hadn't made up my mind yet. Cause I knew you were coming on this podcast. I wanted to specifically ask you about that wall street journal article because they were talking about that financial side. Um, one thing I've even thought of too, is that merchandise sales also factors into this. And of course, men's Jersey soccer jerseys sell at a much higher rate than women's do. So I think what this shows us is that with all of these issues, there's so much nuance and sadly people, when it comes to their feelings, their feelings um, overtake even looking at all the information underneath it. And I think the other sad part to that is that when people do delve into this and want to know all the facts and want to know the nuance, they often are ridiculed for that. I'm sure you get plenty of Twitter hate, Christina, even though you don't deserve it. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> I get some love. I have very devoted followers, but I think I must have some hate followers. And I, I don't know how I can make me clearer that if I can see evidence of just completely inexplicable, unfair discrimination, I would want it corrected. But so often when you look closer at, even, you know, we've talked many before about the wage gap in general, most of it can be explained by differences in terms of the choices that men and women make, the fields they enter, the hours they work per week, all sorts of things factor into pay. And I just, you know, there are workplaces here and there where there'll be, you know, some sort of uh, troglodytes that are cheating women out of their salary, but that it's not systemic. There's just no evidence of systemic discrimination. So as I say, I'm willing to reconsider for the women's soccer team, but only after seeing all the facts and hearing from both sides. And in so many of these media stories, they only give you one side. And that's what we should all be doing. So that's why I personally thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I know that at times, like you said, you get a lot of hate for it because people have their own, their minds made up even before they know the facts. But I thank you for your work and also so much for your time today. We so appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoy talking to you. <laughs> And thank you all for joining us. If you have more interest in the topics we discussed, you can follow Christina Hoff Summers on Twitter at C-H Summers, and that's S-O-M-M-E-R-S. -M -M -E and do check out many of our articles on the Independent Women's Forum website. They go deeper into the policy issues we discussed today. You can find them at IWF.org. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help, and we'd love it and if you would share this episode. So let their friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes from all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum. Thanks for listening. Thanks.